This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Think Tank Photo was founded in 2005, with Doug Murdoch being one of the original founders. Doug used his love of climbing and the outdoor adventures and turned that into becoming an industrial designer while at Cal State University Northridge. Working his way through the industry, Doug found himself working at a photo company. He was not satisfied with the way the products were designed and built for the photographer. He teamed up with a group to form Think Tank, and the photography industry and the world has never been the same. Everyone is taking photographs. And so as a company, we want to encourage people to get out there and go to places that they've never been before and to 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 learn something, you know, to be immersed in another culture to the point where your point of view changes. Because that's what travel does is it changes people. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from Oscar winners, Hall of Fame basketball players, professional baseball players, and fashion designer, Christina Fan. Being in America, I can do whatever I want because I want to do it. Like, I don't need a reason or permission. And if I was in Vietnam or if I was, like, in India where there's, like, a caste system or, you know, whatever reasons that prevent people from following their dreams, no matter how wild or if you wanted to be an accountant, like whatever, you know, and I just felt so much gratitude because like the sacrifices and the decisions they made to risk their life to come here allowed me to do basically whatever I want. The rest of my conversation with Christina can be found on archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into my conversation with Doug Murdoch. Maine Farmhouse Brands was started by Dan McCool, a healthcare professional. His goal was to make premium soap. Most people may not realize how important the right soap is for their health and the difference between soap and detergent. Soap is made from natural ingredients like animal and plant fats, whereas detergent is made from synthetic, often harsh chemicals, even fossil fuels like petroleum. Maine Farmhouse Brands makes their own soap with natural ingredients, free from harsh chemicals. So if you want to keep your skin healthy and clean, I would recommend using Maine Farmhouse Brands soap instead of detergent. You can find their body wash, shaved soaps, laundry soap, and beard oils, and more at MaineFarmhouseBrands.com. I have got not just an adventurer, a designer, which that is very impressive. I love industrial designers, but the adventurer is the great part. I loved finding out that you climbed uh, major mountains, but I've got the man of Think Tank. Doug, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> I love that image of you uh, hiking that they have on the Think Tank bio page. Yeah, that's a, a recent image. It's, it's of me on top of um, Half Dome. After we completed a climb called Tizizak. So were, were you always an adventurer? Were you always that kid climbing stuff? Um, well, you know, in my younger days, I mean, I was <laughs> in Boy Scouts and we did all that kind of stuff. But then uh, after I finished my little running career in high school, I started very seriously rock climbing. And uh, in a short period of time, within a year or two, I started doing, you know, some of the walls up in Yosemite which uh, that was an incredible experience. You know, for a lot of people in their late teens, early 20s, it's a super difficult time period. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a way for me to deal with all those, you know, difficult emotions we have as a young person, something that's just incredibly physical where you can just get out all that energy. Did you have mentors or people like showing you what to do? I mean, it's not like playing golf. (laughs) Right. I did have, you know, some people teaching me and I uh, quite luckily had some excellent uh, friends as well. Wow. What's the, what was like, what's your cream top five? Like that was, I'm glad I climbed it moment. Was it that? Was it half dome? Um, This is is quite unusual. Uh, When you start that climb, there's these kind of, you just describe them as zebra waves in the beginning where the rock goes uh, white and black and you have to go over these dihedrals. 
And then at the very top, it's actually overhung, you know, for one pitch. So you're hanging it out there. Okay, so how was that for your first time doing something like that? I mean, you've got to trust yourself in the equipment. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, by that time we had done a number of climbs, so... But it was still really thrilling because I remember my my partner, Matt Oliphant, he was going up the overhang. And in order to go up, you've actually got to position yourself where you're pushing out from the wall. And one of the pieces pulled out and he flew out about maybe he flew down about maybe 20 or 30 feet. And both of us were just laughing hysterically. Because sometimes, you know, when you're under pressure and you're under stress, you know, laughing is actually what happens. Right. It's your first cry. It's laughing. It's like. Right. Right. So, but we were, you know, of course, happy to get to the top. Wow. That's. But that one took us uh, four days. Four days. Four days. Yeah. That's a commitment. Sleeping on the wall. How? Okay. So were you though? Were, were you kind? Did you have those kind of sleeping tents where you're literally? Yeah, we had a portal ledge. Oh, wow! What a and break. actually, my friend made a lot of the gear. He made the portal ledge, and he made these uh, super large friends, which weren't manufactured at that time. And one of this critical areas that previously had been deemed one of the hardest parts of the climb as aid four. He had made these special uh, friends, and it just turned it into A1, made it very easy. Was that kind of an influence in for you to get into design or seeing how product was working and not working and to make it better? I think what the influence was is uh, during that time period, I also started working at a place called the Harness Factory in Sunland, California. And we were making rock climbing gear, search and rescue stuff, um, Hall bags, medical equipment. And in the beginning for me, it was really about making equipment for myself and my friends so we could go out and we could have these adventures. Because this is around, you know, 1983 to 85. And even though the industry was established, there still wasn't a lot of gear, right. you know, available. What, so you're a valley guy, right? Is that, does that consider the I grew valley? up in uh, Locker Center, okay. which is close to San Fernando Valley. Okay. So you had you had hills right there to play in, you know, you're right up there. We had the hills there. We'd go up to the Angeles Crest Forest. Wow. Um, of course, there's, um, you know, there's climbing out in Chatsworth at Stony Point. Right, right. And so you went to Northridge, right? That's where you went to college? Right, I went to CSUN. With the, with the idea of industrial design? No, actually, I was, uh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, so I decided to major in philosophy. <laughs> and people would ask me, like, what are you going to do with a philosophy degree? And I said, well, I'm going to open a philosophy and a falafel shop, you know, so you can get a falafel sandwich and you can read philosophy at the same time. That obviously didn't happen. But anyway, so during that time period, basically, I was just rock climbing and studying philosophy. And I was like two classes away from my philosophy degree. And I had been working at the harness factory where that's when I decided, okay, design is what I really want to do. So then I double majored in, um, you know, philosophy and industrial design. I could definitely see those two going hand in hand. Sure. Makes all the sense in the world. (laughs) Well, actually it does because uh, lots of, you know, the majority of product design is actually just thinking. Mm-hmm. There is the creative part, but there's also this other part that's just thinking about what is it that people need and why. So when you were at the harness, was what was the spark that said, okay, design is it. I, I, I see something here. Um, the spark in terms of product design is essentially that's what we were doing. We were designing new products. Yeah. So it's kind of, I similar. mean, we were designing new products for ourselves. Like we were designing our own haul bags, our own portal edges, our own rock climbing equipment, harnesses. We were also doing that for other customers as well, like medical and SWAT and right. rescue and stuff like that. And so it was just this natural thing. It's like, I mean, I loved being in the outdoors and actually at that time, uh, product design and product design education really didn't recognize 
let's say something made out of fabric as being like a legitimate product. I mean, people were into designing cars and, you know, vacuum cleaners and things like that. Right. But for me, I just, I wanted to continue to be part of the outdoors. And so that's why I decided to, you know, go into products for the outdoors. Was, was there kind of a pushback though, when you're in college, then you're, you're saying this is what I want to design and your instructors are like, yeah, but, uh, you know, a vacuum is fantastic, Doug. <laughs> there wasn't any pushback, but they did look at it very oddly. Like I was hired to design these. Have you seen these soft cases before made for llamas? They, yes. they strap over the top of a llama. Well, I designed and I made a bunch of these for a client. And I, I submitted these at CSUN as one of my projects. And you can imagine how, you know, bizarre that was. I'm sure they, they just thought, what is this kid doing here? What? Right. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, they think, well, how is this guy going to make a living after he leaves if he's making llama backpacks? <laughs> <laughs> Not going to happen here. Yeah. What, how quickly once you got out of school were you able to find like your niche, a bag company, or did you stay with Harness? Okay, so what happened is that immediately after I graduated, I took a job with Liberty Mountain Sports and I actually became their buyer for European goods. So I was responsible for importing uh, climbing equipment from Edelrid, uh, Banati Kong, uh, Stubai, you know, lots of rock climbing, mountaineering equipment, and also camping equipment. And even though I was only there for one year, it really opened up my eyes to business in general and how does business work. And in particular, import and export, where I took a bunch of classes in order to understand, you know, what it is that I was responsible to do there. Anyway, so while I was working there, I got a... Um, uh, offer to on a consulting basis to design a belt pack for Lopro. And that was really my start in the industry because that's when I designed the Orion AW uh, for Lopro. And that's the, it was a belt pack that had a um, day pack that attached to it on the sides with SR buckles. And so what happened is that you could have this backpack on, but when you unclipped the buckles, you could rotate the belt pack around to the front and the, the lid opened away from you so you could access your gear and then you could rotate it back again. So that was really, it was my, the beginning of my, let's say, career in making, you know, photography related uh, products but also the beginning of this concept, which we can we continue to develop over the years of accessibility and being able to access your photo gear while your backpack is still on. Does some of your thought in that way come from rock climbing where you you don't have everything free, so you think you need things to move and be smooth and come from front to back? Is that kind right. of right? It's it's always about accessibility. And ease of getting various things um, in order to do whatever activity you're doing. Yeah. Like if you remember the original, um, you know, pro speed belts we made, we made those belts so that the components, you know, rotate along the belt. And that was critical, especially for, you know, sports photographers and other types of photographers. So that it's not fixed in place. You know, you could grab around to your back, pull that 70 to 200 to the front and take it out and switch lenses. Yeah. I love that. I love that you weren't a photographer. You weren't like completely embedded in photojournalism classes. Your, 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 your passion was elsewhere. And then you bring it into an industry and it changes everybody's thoughts because nobody was thinking that way, but it does help the consumer, the photographer. That's fantastic. Right. I mean, I did take several uh, photography classes at CSUN and I enjoyed, you know, photography, but I wasn't really a photographer, you know, per se, but I love those first classes where they make you go out with a medium format camera and they send you to a junkyard. That was the best. Um, <laughs> go find something pretty. <laughs> but it is true. I mean, the when you bring in, um, let's say, other people, you know, from the outside, mm -hmm. there's this kind of synergy that happens between people's ideas 
that allow you to be even more creative and to go beyond the boundaries of, let's say, normal thinking. Right. I mean, you know this. You've been around photographers long enough now. You know if you get 12 photographers in a room, they're all just going to go in the same direction. And so you need someone from the outside to go, hey, guys, you know what? If you put some wheels on this bag, it's going to be a lot easier for you. <laughs> right. That actually happened to us. Because... Deanne Fitzmorris and I, we went to the original, well, and we launched in 2005 and we went to the Canon Super Bowl party in Florida and we gave away the Speed Demon belt packs, I think 125 of them to all the photographers there. And we also had a backpack, which was legal carry on size. It was maximum. It was like eight by, you know, 14 by 24. It was huge. And it was the it was like the first backpack designed to carry all that stuff for sports photography. And people looked at that and they would try it on. They'd say, damn, this is heavy. If you put wheels on that, I'd buy it. <laughs> so that that was the beginning of our our rollers. And actually, when I first started the company, I said, man, I am not going to do rollers because rollers are complicated and they you have spare parts and things wear out and stuff like that. But because the photographers requested it, we we had to do it. Well, that you know? and within two years, you guys were the gold standard. Right, right. I mean, it was, I mean, there was some companies making bags with wheels, but they were nothing more than like slapped onto the side and poorly done. When you guys put yours out, it was everything needed in that bag that can hold right. your laptop, your monopod, just the handles, the wheels were perfect. It was, it was well designed. Right. Well, I do I do like to give credit to other people and other companies because nothing is ever truly original. Oh yeah, right. I mean, when you look at any product and you look at the history behind that product and you look at all the people and companies that participated up to that point, it's quite significant. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the reality is is that I had worked for Lowepro for I think it was 12 or 13 years and my buddy Bruce Levin and I, we designed the original Pro Rollers, you know, for Low Pro, which I think was around 97, 98. And so we had already had that experience of, um, you know, designing rollers, going over to Taiwan, going to Korea and China and having them made. Yeah. So there was a great deal of experience, uh, you know, before the Think Tank rollers came out. So walk me through the genesis of sitting around coming up with the idea to start this company think tank what was your thought process um well it was interesting because i had met kurt rogers okay and he was such an interesting guy because he was truly a photojournalist that was um the most important thing for him was just getting the photograph right and so all these other things are like, you know, tools, the camera, the bags, whatever. And so, you know, one time he described in his photo, his photo gear as kind of like, you know, plumber's tools. Because it's like, it's like a tool. It's not something that you get like emotionally attached to. And the most important thing is the photograph. And for some reason, if your camera, your lens gets damaged, but you've got a great photograph, well, that's okay. And um, he was very straightforward. One time we we sent him some bags to test when I was at Lowepro. And he just said, you know, these type of bags, I just can't use these bags. They were like traditional large, you know, shoulder bags because that's photojournalists really don't use those, you know, out in the field. And so really it was this beginning relationship with um, Kurt Rogers that I was exposed to photojournalists. And I also came to recognize that this group of photographers were largely underserved, which means that products were not being designed specifically for them or for their needs. Okay, so that was the the beginning of a think tank in that we really just focused on photojournalists in the very beginning. Wow. I mean, and there were a lot back then. Was was Kurt at the... What, San Francisco Chronicle then, or was the Examiner? Originally, he was at the Examiner, and okay. then he was at the Chronicle. Right, when, during the merger. So that's a great 
test subject to have because he's out there pounding the pavement every day, whether it's a football game or a, an event or a protest or just your regular old portrait. He knows the bags he's dragging in and out, wearing at a football game he needs for a portrait. So that's good to have someone who's actually doing it every day. Sure. And then also, you know, the photojournalists as a group are a very social group because when you go to an event, you go to the event early and then you got to hang out. And so you're talking to people and then you have the event and then everyone scrambles to do their edit. But then normally, you know, there is still more time, you know, to talk to people. And so it was perfect for us because we would make a prototype and it would go to one of these events and, you know, uh, Kurt and, you know, Deanne, Fitzmorris, they would just show it to people and say, you know, what do you think of this? And they could get feedback every single week, every day, because all of these people show up at the same events, sure. basically. Yeah, I mean, that's so, yeah, it was a it was a great time for us to develop um, new product because a lot of those products didn't exist. And, you know, the photojournalists really needed them. And in terms of the goals of photojournalists and photojournalism, I really related to that in terms of telling stories, not only telling stories, but telling the truth about what's happening in the present moment. And so I really identified with um, that, you know, that goal of photojournalism to tell people the truth about what's happening in the world right now through, through photography. What was the jumping off moment where you say, okay, let's come up with a name. Let's start a company. Let's do this. Who's with me? Right. So the jumping off point is that after I had left my previous job, although I should note at that time, I still, I had multiple businesses running at the same time. Yes. I saw that. So I, I had a business where I was making like backpacks for electronic equipment. So I was making stuff for Agilent Technologies and doing design work for other companies. Okay, but finally what I said is that, okay, I really want to start my own brand. And the reason why is that when you own your own brand, you can basically create it as you want it to be based on your own philosophy. And you can create your own products based on what you think they should be. Okay. And so uh, first what I did is I called up my buddy, you know, Mike Sturm up in uh, Reading because he and I had worked together before. And I said, you know, what do you think about starting a new business? And then I called Kurt Rogers and Kurt talked to Deanne and we got some other people involved. And uh, originally we started out with the, you know, the modular belt system. Mm hmm which was for all types of photojournalists, but also specifically for sports photographers. And then we did the um, belt packs. Right. Um, And in terms of, you know, think tank, we really, it takes a very long time to choose a company name. And I think it took us almost maybe six months of talking about names to come up with think tank. But, um, and we, we had certain criteria. So one of the main criteria was that we wanted the name of our company to capture our company culture. Okay. We wanted it to be a real name and not a fake name. Right. Okay. And so in terms of the real name, uh, it was all about the designers working with the photographers directly, you know, without anybody in between to come up with these new um, product designs. So it's like a think tank. It's a group of people getting together you know, talking about what the products should be and why. Yeah. I remember when you brought the module belt to the first sports shooter and you brought that, brought that thing out of the box and assembled it. And I thought, Oh dear Lord, this, this is a game changer for me. Like, Oh, my back. Thanks you. My thought thinks you I don't have to find things. It was just so perfect. Like, I have no idea why that wasn't thought of 20 years earlier. Yeah, it was interesting. It's like our first focus really was on sports photographers. And now at any of the major uh, sports events, especially at the Olympics, we get these pictures sent to us of the photographers there. And usually it's about 75 to 80% all think tank. Yeah. 
all think tank rollers, rollers especially, but also, you know, other things as well. So the sports photography has been the one area that we have, you know, dominated for a long period of times in in terms of working with the photographers. Yeah. And I, and I, and I give that to the group that you are and then the people you're communicating with because they're hitting it right on the head with the hammer. It, there's never been a fail like, oh, that's too big, that's too small, that doesn't work. Why would you do this? You're, even your color schemes are goofy. No, it was everything was spot on and thought of. And it's like, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, we had a lot of supporters over the years, like, you know, Hannah Shiro. Mm-hmm. I think that we're one of the only companies that have continuously, since the beginning, sponsored his uh, sports academy since the very beginning. Right. Oh yeah. So that that's been a great relationship, you know, for us yeah. to help support all these young people and getting into sports photography. Yeah, it's it's been fantastic. But to be fair, we've been in business now for oh, 18 years. 18, yeah. And we have had some failures. <laughs> but but that's it's but, impossible. but that's okay because at it's least okay. you were trying. Right? You could play it safe and just keep making the same rigid. Right. It's part of it's part of the design process. Yeah, but within it's just those, like man, you cannot hit a home run every time you go up to bat. I hey, mean, you're gonna you're gonna strike out. No one complains about a stand up double once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, oh, through those failures, though, did you learn stuff? Of course. I mean, uh, when I was young, I always felt that you learn more through your failures than you do from your successes. Because sometimes when you do something successful, you're not really, maybe not fully cognizant of why it was so successful. Right. But when you fail at something, then you've really got to study, well, what is it that went wrong? Right. And it's the same, you know, for rock climbing and in many things. I mean, if you go up on a big wall and you fail on it, you learn a lot. Well, no, I'd rather you, you fail. Fail at a bag, Doug. Don't fail on a wall. <laughs> well, by fail, I mean just not getting to the top. You know? Okay. All right. <laughs> But uh, were, were there some where you failed and you were quite sure this was going to succeed and you're just were dumbfounded, scratching your head going, why, where did we miss? Okay, so here's a really interesting example. You know, when you look at the, uh, the phone market, originally you had your PDAs, which, are, which was your personal digital assistant, mm-hmm. remember? Yeah. And it's like, you know, you know, you keep your calendar on there. It was so basic. And then basically... Uh, you know, it was discontinued. But what happens is that products get reinvented over a period of time. And if you look at that from the original, you know, beepers and PDAs all the way up to cell phones, it's an amazing progression. So we had this backpack we created called Rotation 360. And the backpack, uh, it was a backpack. Mm-hmm. And then the belt pack rotated through a hole in the back. Yeah. Okay. And in the beginning, people thought, wow, that was really amazing, but the backpack was really heavy. Um, okay, we had some problems with it. So what we did is we had to discontinue it because a lot of innovative products, uh, you get a lot of sales in the beginning to the early adopters, but mm-hmm. then after that, your sales go down. Okay, but then we reinvented it. And so we reinvented that product three times. And I can say that that process, the ones that we sell now, our rotation backpacks are truly superior and meet the original goal that we had. But that was only possible by going through, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years of, you know, development and looking at the old one and saying, God, that one just, just, it's not good enough. You know, we need to push ourselves to a higher limit and create um, goals that we think are not possible. That's great. I mean, does that, does that fire you up in the morning when you're thinking of design that way to constantly change the evolution of that bag and make it better? Um, I think what it does is that it definitely pushes you to a much higher boundary. But the key to that is that you have to imagine something that's impossible. Right? Because if you, in your mind, if you're always saying, well, we can do this, we can do that, you know, blah, 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 blah then you're setting your boundary. Mm-hmm. And so the way to do that is to, you know, set this goal and then not um, 
not compromise. And that happens a lot, you know, during product design. You're saying, we want this. So you keep pushing yourself and say, let's not compromise. Let's still go towards the original goal and still we can make it there. Right. Right. And sometimes that comes from the product, um, the product manager, you know, point of view also. Because when we were working on the rotation, I remember, you know, working with one of our designers and I told him, I said, this backpack, you cannot use any aluminum. You can't use any aluminum staves. All you can use is high-density foam in order to create structure. Right. Originally, we thought that was impossible. But actually, I can't remember. He went through like 12 prototypes to solve that problem. Eventually, it was possible. Has 3D printing become something you guys utilize? We utilize it in some parts and pieces. Right now, because it is very fast, and our designer, um, Mike, is totally into that, you know, 3D printing. So it's definitely much faster, and it helps. Right. I mean, you can get your hands on something immediately and get a part and figure, ah, that works. Okay, we got structure. We got a corner. Although, you know, we make the eyepieces for the hydrophobias. Mm -hmm. Those are exceptionally precise. I mean, they're down to a tenth of a millimeter. Right. Right. And so for those, um, we actually have to make the prototype. Just have to do it. You just got to mill it out. You mill it by hand. Right. Because it's just too precise. Do you, do you love still doing that tinkering? Do you got like your little, you know, Doug workshop where you go in and have fun, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, honestly, I'm more of a, I'm still the product manager for the company, but, uh, we have two guys. We've got Mike up in Reading, and then we got Joe Hansen. He's living down in um, San Rafael. Okay. Those two guys have studios at home, and they're still making patterns and sewing things, and um, you know, making various devices to to test products. So they're the ones that are really, you know, driving the actual design now. Yeah, but does, do once in a while do you like to get your hands a little dirty? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I still I still go to the factories, and what's great about when you go to the factory directly, you can get the prototype, and you can immediately say if it's working or not working, and you can make changes right there. Yeah, right. And that is fantastic, because normally it takes a lot of time, but just to say, hey, can you tweak this and put this strap there and do this or that, and you look at the prototype maybe you know four hours later, and then you can test it. When you're designing a product, let's take the roller bag, for instance, because you've got you know, you guys use like the best zippers and the best this and the best that. Is there like, where do you find the gold standard when you guys are putting products together to make the overall piece? Right. So it's an interesting topic because we live kind of in a throwaway society now mm-hmm. for everything, even with clothing, with fast fashion and things like that. Right. And so Making things that will last a long time uh, requires the best quality materials. And a lot of times when you use high quality materials, it's not something that the customer can really appreciate it when they look at the product. You know, it's something that they experience over time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've been a big advocate of YKK zippers from the very beginning. And we use this special zipper on the outside that's called um, RC Fuse. And you can actually... And what it means by fuse is that they actually fuse the stitching on top of the zipper into the plastic. Right. You can literally take sandpaper and you can sandpaper off the top and the zipper slider will still work. So it's an amazing zipper and it costs more money. And so um, the entire topic of trying to, uh, you know, be sustainable is just fascinating because like our focus is how do we keep bags out of the landfill? Right. How do we prevent people from throwing the bags away? And the way to do that is first, you know, to use mostly the best materials. And then secondly, providing, you know, a customer service program where we provide replaceable parts. Like we designed our rollers. So all all the parts are actually user replaceable, which means that they all unscrew. Mm-hmm. Where most rollers, the way they make them, they make them with permanent rivets. Right. 
So if something goes wrong, you have to drill it out. Right. And we, we supply our parts um, for free because the reality is, is that even though we use and we've, you know, designed ultra durable handles, if someone's using their bag and let's say the handles up and it tips over and it hits the concrete curb or something, then yeah, it can crimp. Mm -hmm. So there are times when those parts will fail. That's just the reality of a product with movable parts. And so, but the difference is for us is that, you know, we make them all user replaceable and we provide those parts for free to keep that product going as long as possible. And some of our original rollers are still being used and sometimes we, we get them returned. <laughs> I, I still have the original. That thing is still going. Yeah. The, the little handle starting to fray a little bit on the top. But, yeah, on the top. Yeah. yeah. But it's also, God, I don't know, 15 years old or something. I mean. You know what a lot of people do is that they contact us and then we we offer them some sort of deal to buy a new one, but then they keep the old one and then they put their lighting equipment in there or something that right. they yeah they still need, but uh, they don't need to use as often. Sure, I mean it's that thing has been on four continents. I don't know how many miles it's been checked on when I didn't want it to. Like I know it's been beaten in in, in planes. The thing is is unbelievably perfect that bag. oh my god i loved it and actually one of the reasons why we made it so durable is because you know as photojournalists again the photographs getting the photographs is the most important thing you can be doing Mm -hmm. and so people would take our roller and just literally drag it through gravel you know, instead of picking it up, right? Sure, God forbid. Man, it's like a tool, and I'm going to use this tool. And so, like, when you hit the stairs, it's like, bam, bam, bam. You go down the stairs, you don't pick it up. You just go down the stairs, and you just, it's just slamming all the way down. Well, you do know that your clients aren't the most, uh, I guess, kind to their gear especially if they're staffers they're like the company's paying for it (laughs) that's right the company's paying for it and it's not precious right you know what i mean yeah now your freelancers those clients of yours those are the ones who are like hey i I pat that thing down when i'm done i hose it off that's the so what we've done is um we've because of the changes in the photography industry we've had to change as well. And so we've um, um, come up with some products for photographers, but also non-photographers. Like we have our new retro series, Mm -hmm. which are, you know, duffel bags and things made out of our retro cotton canvas. And in the near, very near future, we're going to be uh, launching some luggage as well. Oh, which is not specifically for photography. You can sure. put our instruments in there. But also because, you know, when photographers travel, they also need just regular luggage. Right. A duffel bag or something to go for the weekend or wherever they're going and doing things. Right. So we've taken all this experience that we've learned from photographers and applying it to the general world of luggage now, which is, you know, ultra durable luggage, you know, for the world, you know, travelers and venturers and people who are out there um, going around the world. And actually Deanne, uh, you know, has worked with us, you know, from the very beginning and right. she's constantly traveling. Oh, that she's, woman's on the road all the time. She's gone all the time going, you know, leading workshops and, you know, she's a, a Nikon ambassador now. Right. And doing all the assignments she gets. And so she's constantly testing for us and providing feedback. Was that kind of the thought process in 2018 with the merger with, was it mind shift? Was it the yeah, mind shift, right? That, that you were kind of, kind of right. expand a little bit. Well, okay. So with mind shift backpacks, we did photography backpacks, but we also, um, uh, wanted to do regular outdoor backpacks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the reality is that even though we sold a fair amount of mind shift backpacks, it wasn't enough to have a separate company, you know, as like a separate corporation. Right. right. So what we did is we just folded MindShift back into Think Tank and it's just one unit. And we sell, we still sell MindShift uh, backpacks. Sure. And so for the casual observers, uh, 
it's always been the case that we've sold, you know, the mind shift, whether or not they think it's a product line or it's a brand. Right. Still, we're still selling the mind shift products. Yeah. I love some of their stuff. I've got some of their filters holders that I use and things. It's, it's great when the boys and I go out to the desert and take photos. Right. The backpacks for outdoor photography is they're very, very popular. Yeah. We have one, but it's funny. It's, uh, it's never available. Some child in my house always seems to have it. And it's, a, <laughs> <laughs> and it's always gone. It's funny yeah. how that works as a father. We had a new one that we just launched uh, recently, which we took the same backlight 18 and we used the X-Pack material, which is material that's used uh, for sailboats. Right. It has carbon fiber that crisscrosses. And we only had a few hundred for sale, but I think we sold out within three weeks. Wow. Uh, is that what the, is that the backlight 18, something like that? The backlight 18 X pack. Okay. Yeah. They've got, oh, we have, I say they, cause I, I, it, w- it was here, but it's been gone, but we have a green one and it's, it's gone. I saw it the other day in the back of the truck and it's been gone for several days. It just happens. Well, I, I assume you have a collection of anywhere between 10 and 30 camera bags. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. My garage is full. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. Well, there's, there's two reasons for that. The first reason is you always need different kinds of camera bags for different assignments. Yeah. Second reason is the quest yeah. for the perfect camera bag. Well, like for me, it I have certain bags for certain needs, right? Like I've got the, the roller, the standard air pet security roller, that one I've got. But then I've also got the logistics manager 30 that fits when I do volleyball. I could put my 600 in there and some other things and some remote stuff. So right. that one's just comfortable enough to put in the car, still move around, and I'm using it for the day. So I use that. I, I'm back and forth. I'm all over the place. But, right. but that's how photographers are. Yeah. Was there ever a moment when you thought uh, you were getting bored of this and you wanted to maybe jump off and start something else as a tinkerer, as a man of, you know, I'm not going to sit still. I'm constantly designing. I love this kind of stuff. Um, not really from that point of view, but uh, during COVID, the COVID was a very difficult time period for most companies. Mm-hmm. And so what happened during COVID is I was living in Vietnam. I lived in Vietnam for six years. Now I'm back in the United States, but living over there during COVID, I had to stay there for two years because if I left, I couldn't return. Right. And they shut down the factories. And so we lost basically six months worth of business. And so during that time period, yeah, there was a lot of questions. I mean, we had to, you know, cut all of our expenses. We had to move. um, And, So uh, I think for a lot of companies, including us during that time, that time period, there was a lot of soul searching. Like, yeah, what's really going to happen here? Sure. Because everybody lost sales, right? The entire, you know, photography industry, you know, lost sales because the thing about photography and the wonderful thing about photography is that you get to travel, you get to go outdoors, you get to see and explore new places And basically that wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people buy photography equipment when they're, they're planning trips, they're going new places. um, Or if they buy a new camera body because they're revived, then they buy a new tripod, they buy a new bag. And so none of that was happening. And so um, we, we survived through COVID and then we rebounded really strongly the year after that. And so that was a really good sign for us. That, so, did that feel good that like the industry itself had a rebound and they came to you? Uh, of course it did because yeah, I was vitally concerned, you know, about, you know, the health of the company. Right. So we've rebounded and beyond, you know, which is fantastic because COVID had this, you know, this odd um, rebound where people had been indoors. It, it depends on what country you're in, mm-hmm. but for a lot of people, they were just indoors or mentally. Right. And so when COVID ended, people wanted to get outdoors and do things and, you know, renew their uh, travel plans that they had canceled. Well, that's great that you guys were able to rebound 
you know, weather the storm, get through it and, you know, get your right. feet underneath you. Cause as you know, a lot of companies didn't and it sucked. Right. And, and you're in an industry too, where you go to conferences, you go to things. I'm sure, you know, a lot of designers, photographers, people in bag companies over your career and, and to watch those little companies get eaten up or dissipate or have their doors close. It, it's not good. It's, that's horrible to see your friends have that come through. That's true. There was, there has been a lot of consolidation, yeah. you know, in the camera bag business. Where at one time there may have been 20 bag companies I could have named that were actually selling product. Now we're like under 10. Oh, man. I mean, if you go online and you search camera bags, yeah, you'll find like maybe 50 or a hundred companies that say they're selling camera bags. But a lot of times it may be a company that's just selling one camera bag but, you know, I'm talking about the more of the, right. the major players that are really having an impact out there. Yeah, people that are really putting some hard work into making a bag. Right, and we have, you know, some new players in the industry, too, because, you know, interests are changing. And so there's been an emphasis on hybrid um, kind of travel bags, photography bags, and the rise of interest of inserts, you know, where you buy an insert and then you can put it to whatever you want to. So right. if you really love your Osprey backpack for backpacking, you can use your Osprey backpack and then you can buy a think tank insert and you can put it on the inside. Has the mirrorless camera changed for you guys and its shape and size and where you guys are going to make your bags and things kind of fit to a smaller footprint? Ironically enough, it hasn't. And the reason is that when mirrorless first came out, they really focused on the small body size mm -hmm. and that impacted, you know, the camera bag industry. But what happened is that the cell phones became so amazing that kind of the, what's known as the compact camera market, which is usually a small camera with a fixed lens, right. just totally collapsed. Yeah. Gone. And so because it collapsed, it meant that, what was left really was dedicated amateurs, advanced amateurs, enthusiasts. And enthusiasts, they spend more money on their cameras and they want a nice camera. So the nicer camera bodies are bigger, right? right? They're bigger. And actually, they're the same size now as the DSLRs were. And the lenses are the same size as well. <laughs> so we kind of went full cycle here where... Yeah, the mirrorless size went down significantly, but now they're back up again, and they're the same size as the DSLR cameras. <laughs> you just got to hold your breath long enough, and it all comes back around. I know. <laughs> and it's also true that a lot of the, you know, dedicated, uh, you know, photographers, they may not be professional, but, man, they buy lots of expensive, oh, yeah. you know, gear. Oh, yeah. You can go to any big-time camera store, and you sit around there, and you can watch someone on a Saturday plunk down serious money because they saw a review, and they need the latest, greatest, coolest thing, and you're like, oh, you're not a working fertile journalist. You're some lawyer, doctor, plastic surgeon or something. <laughs> <laughs> Dentist. You know. Yeah. Brad Manchin's not walking in buying a 600 every Saturday afternoon. <laughs> That's right. What? What are you guys coming up on? What's new? What's what's going to drop and like change the world, Doug? Well, I don't know if it's going to change the world, <laughs> but... Um, oh, come on. We, we have the luggage coming up, which I told you about. And yeah. then also we developed a new series um, for photojournalists. There's three products. And these are going to launch within the next two weeks, I think by August 1st. Okay. And what we did is we kind of went back to our roots of photojournalism. And if you remember when we first started, we had our um, test drive series where what we did, we had about 300 people, photojournalists participate. But what we did is we sent them the product and said, test it. If you like it, you can pay us, you know, three weeks later. If you don't want it, then send it back. Right. And so it was this collaboration between photojournalists and the designers. And so we've gone back to our, our roots and to our original DNA and we got 30 different um, photographers to help us design these new products. And by that, what I mean is that we sent them prototypes. We had them tested. We had, um, you know, Zoom meetings with them to get feedback, what's working, what's not working. And what's really interesting is that in the beginning, we thought, okay, we're just going to have one product because we think this will satisfy the needs of our customers. 
But through these different interviews, it became apparent that there's so many different, uh, let's say, ways of shooting and also different gear profiles that we couldn't do it with one product. So now we have three. Hmm, okay. We have three coming out. Wow. All right. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, Deanne will be announcing this, I believe, on August 1st. Okay. Everybody's got to tune in. Is she going to do a uh, an Instagram drop, or how is she announcing this to the world? I think by email and also Instagram as well. Email? That's not yeah. sexy. It's got to be something, a lot of pizzazz and you know, fireworks and a big well, halftime show. Okay. So the reason is we have a limited amount. Oh. So we really, it's it's like in the beginning, we'll just focus on the photojournalists, you know, getting it out to the photojournalists, and then we're going to open this to everybody. Yeah be able to buy the product but we'll have the product in stock you know and ready to sell does 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 there a day that doesn't go by where you're like wow this is i'm working at a special place i mean because it it really is i i i put you guys on that that gold standard up there with Mm -hmm. like for me you're 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 the apple of our industry and i love that right i i think you know, we're, we're totally unique. I think, you know, from the very beginning, continuing to now in terms of who we are as a company and our company culture. And, um, and I'm very, I'm very proud of what we've accomplished over the years. I mean, we really maintained our focus and, um, yeah, I think one of the most important things, uh, you know, for me is just helping our customers. Right. Because, you know, when I see what our customers do, when I when I see the images that they create, I think that, wow, we have really impacted this person's life and we've actually really helped them, you know, to create those those images. Yeah. I mean, so, I, I remember sitting with you in an El Torito during one of the workshops and, you know, and you're, you're writing down notes furiously, asking questions. And it was like you were asking everything I wanted someone to ask me and then you understood everything I was saying. And it's like, where was that in Canon or Nikon as a camera company? Why is it this bag accessory kind of company? So on top of the pulse of the photographer, when the actual camera companies were not, and it was like, Oh God, he's brilliant. I think, I think one of the reasons is because for many cus- for many companies, they don't let the designers talk to the customer, <laughs> which is crazy, right? Right. That's just absolutely crazy. So that was our philosophy. The designers are going to talk to the customers. Yeah, no, but, nobody um, in between. Yeah. But we're also, recently we've expanded a little bit, and our, our previous tagline was um, the choice of working professionals. And our new one is Venture Observe Connect which still relates, you know, photography to photography. Sure. Um, And that's a direction we're going because we also, so photography and travel are just, are interrelated and they're just, they're just bonded together. I mean, the fact is everybody that travels is taking photographs. It may be with a cell phone. It may be with a, a camera, but everyone is taking photographs. And so, as a company, we want to encourage people to get out there and go to places that they've never been before and to, to, to learn something, you know, to be immersed in another culture to the point where your point of view changes. Cause that's what travel does is it changes people. Yeah. And so it's not just, you know, the beauty of photography is that, you know, when you pick up that camera and, and you take a picture, it causes you to look at that scene differently. Because oftentimes when we travel, we don't take photographs. We just kind of miss the entire scene for some reason, mm-hmm. right? So it forces you into that moment. And then the um, you know the observation part and then connecting is also important as well. Connecting with other people. Connecting with people that you're there, talking to them, finding about who they are and and what they're doing and what their life is about. And then also connecting with people that, you know, with the images that you've, you know, collected during that trip. Well, 
I can't be happier for you, the company, the whole group of you. You guys are killing it, still making great stuff. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this and catch up. And now you're not in Vietnam anymore. You're back in the good old USA. (laughs) It's great. It's great to talk to you again. I mean, it's been so many years since I... Because you know I grew up in Southern California. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah. yeah. You're right around the corner. You're my, like, seventh CSUN graduate on the <laughs> podcast. I don't, I don't know what they're doing over there at Matador Land, but they're popping out geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about genius. But, well, uh, you know, I'm going to pass this on to the <laughs> Alumni Association and see if they want to put it out in their newsletter next okay. month. <laughs> yeah, I really I really appreciate having you having me on your podcast. No, this is fun. I love, I, I love to hear about people's experiences where they had this aha moment. Like you could have just stayed at a company and banged away and made products and just punched the clock nine to five, but you kept seeing something that needed to be tinkered with. And I love that. I yeah. Think, we're still going. <laughs> I think, I think that's what makes us special as humans is there's the tinkering factor right you know always trying to make things better right sometimes we do question ourselves we say is that really better or not (laughs) or is it is it just different yeah right okay so here's the here's the final question the most important question when Uh are you going to get up on a mountain again ah Rock climbing? Yeah. Probably not rock climbing. But uh Are those days done. Yeah, I would they, you know, they have top roping and rock mm-hmm. climbing. Yeah. I would definitely do top roping okay. because that's super, super safe. But other than that, I still enjoy I love hiking. Yeah. And I love, you know, going to places and going hiking and uh so I'm still active in the outdoors doing things, whether Good. it's running. I, I was super active in um uh, gravel biking for a, a while. Okay, and I did a number. I did a number of tours in uh, Vietnam, so, and I also I was living in Prescott, Arizona, briefly because my parents were there, and I was gravel biking in the snow. It was awesome. Oh wow! Yeah. Jeez. Okay. So what's the what's the adventure life like in 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 Vietnam? You'd be surprised. It's amazing. You get on a bicycle in Vietnam. And Vietnam's a very long country, but you can go from the beach to the mountains in a very short period of time. And the best part is being able to interact with various um, cultures of people there Mm -hmm. because they have, you know, 40 or 50 different distinct ethnic groups. Right. And so you can bicycle into these areas and the people are so friendly. They're just super friendly. They say, hi, how are you? They try to help you. You can talk to them. And I mean, I've talked about like riding through um, rice paddies, you know, bicycling through small towns where, you know, the road is a piece of cement three feet wide. It's an incredible experience and very tropical as well. Right. Riding your bike through coconut groves, like a coconut forest. And then you hit another area where they're uh, making uh, mangoes. And on one of our tours, we, we stopped and we talked to some of these uh, mango grove workers and they gave us three big bags of mangoes. Not, not just mangoes, but bags. Bags. And you know how heavy those are? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> we were on a bicycle tour and it's like, really? And we could not refuse the mango. Sure, you can't. That's just, yeah. So but- we had to take them to our next location and then give them away because, you know. We can't eat 10 to 15 mangoes each. Yeah, not not immediately. You're a very sluggish ride all of a sudden. Okay. Oh, my God. Doug, thanks a lot. I can't thank you enough for taking the time and doing this. All the success for the business. I hope you guys just keep killing it. Thank and, you. And, and damn it, stop making so many products I need. You're killing my, my accountant wants oh, to know what the hell you're doing. Out, so. <laughs> yeah. Every time it's tax season, I'm like, here's some receipts. These are all things. I apologize. I I really appreciate it, Matt. All right. keep, Keep banging it out, Doug. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Doug Murdoch. If you enjoyed this episode, please click and hit the like button. Become a subscriber to the podcast. Tell a friend. And remember, you can follow the Just A Good Conversation podcast on Instagram. And you can find all of our past shows at the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.